our current president and his immediate predecessor clearly illustrate that fact. Shortly after his election, President Obama enjoyed a 69% approval rating. Now it's in the high 30s or low 40s, depending on which poll you read. After 9-11, President Bush's approval rating was 90%. By the time he left office, it had dropped as low as 25%. But fluctuating public opinions are nothing new. On Palm Sunday, the crowds were shouting, Hosanna! And in less than a week, they were crying, Crucify Him! And Jesus wasn't the only one to endure a major shift of opinion in a very short time 2,000 years ago. When the Apostle Paul landed on the island of Malta, native perceptions of him went from murderer to God in a matter of minutes. Paul hadn't changed, but their perception had. Let's keep that in mind as we explore the account in Acts 28 this morning. And when they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold... They kindled a fire and received us all. Now, if you remember where we're studying, Paul and the others had been through a most traumatic two weeks at sea. The storm was so bad they had no idea where they were. They hadn't seen the sun or the stars for 14 days. To lighten the ship, everything, including the ship's tackle, had been thrown overboard. The sailors had even tried to abandon ship, which would have left the passengers to fend for themselves. Everyone, except for Paul, had lost hope. When the ship finally wrecked on a reef, everyone swam or paddled on planks to shore. Eventually, they discovered they were on the island of Malta, which most appropriately means Refuge. Malta is a small island, 18 miles long, 10 miles wide, located some 60 miles south of Sicily, the, the big island off the boot of Italy. It was inhabited by what Luke calls natives, or actually barbarians. Now, by that he didn't mean they were savages, only that they didn't speak a cultural language like Greek, Latin, or Hebrew. They just babbled. What he could hear sounded like bar, 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 bar. That's where you get the word barbarian. Kind of interesting. Well, they may have been barbarians, but they weren't barbaric. They showed extraordinary kindness to the 278 strangers who washed upon their shore wet and cold. They saw people in need and moved to meet the need. They kindled a bonfire that could warm 276 people and warmly received the strangers. And isn't that the way we ought to receive strangers? 
especially when they show up at church. Without passing judgment or evaluating whether they deserve it or not, shouldn't all be welcomed as people in need seeking shelter in the house of God. And even barbarians would apparently do that. So they were off to a good start. But then something happened that changed their perception of Paul from a man who is in need to a man who can't escape condemnation. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he's been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, the fact that Paul was gathering sticks speaks well of him in my mind. He wasn't too spiritual to pitch in and help with the chores. He didn't expect everyone to wait on him because of his position as a man of God. He was gathering firewood, driftwood, and brush, no doubt, because there are few trees on Malta. It's mostly rock, and much of the soil on the island was actually thought to have been brought to the island by ships from Sicily. Anyway, he was gathering firewood. And as he got close to the fire with a bundle of sticks, a dormant viper that had been in the bundle came to life and fastened Onto Paul's hand. Now, in light of recent events, we should note that Paul was not practicing snake handling here. All right. It is possible that the promise found in Mark 16 that those who pick up serpents will not be hurt by them may have found fulfillment here, as we'll soon see. But even if that passage is legitimate, and it does not appear in some of the oldest manuscripts, it is no doubt a promise of protection for those who inadvertently get bit by a snake in the process of ministry, not an invitation to handle snakes in church. Be that as it may, a poisonous viper fastened itself onto Paul's hand. Now, if you saw a man with a snake hanging from his hand, you'd no doubt first think, here's a man in need of help. And if you were a Boy Scout, you'd probably grab a stick and knock it off. And if it were 50-some years ago when I was a Boy Scout, you'd take out your snake bite kit, put a tourniquet around his arm, cut X's over the fang marks, and then suck out the poison. That's no longer done. Because it was found to actually cause more harm than good. Today, even Boy Scouts just keep the victim calm and dial 911. <laughs> but the natives did nothing. They just stood there. And they took it as a sign of judgment against Paul. Not that they would have assumed everyone who was bitten by a snake was being judged, but it was just too ironic to have someone saved from a shipwreck only to be bitten by a deadly 
viper. They figured justice, and the word that's used is a personalized one, justice, the daughter of Jupiter, whose duty it was to take vengeance and inflict punishment for crimes, had acted. Paul, therefore, must have been guilty of a terrible crime. No doubt, a murderer. They reflected the thoughts of uh, Statilius Flacus, a first century Greek writer of epigrams who wrote of a sailor who survived a shipwreck only to be killed by snakebite. He writes, Oh, he escaped the storm and the raging of the murderous sea, but as he lay stranded in the Libyan sand, not far from the beach and heavy with sleep, at last, naked and destitute, weary as he was from the terrible shipwreck, the viper struck him dead. Why did he struggle against the waves? He did not escape the lot which was destined for him on land. Paul, they concluded, was a murderer, getting what he deserved. They made a snap judgment. And snap judgment of a man's character, they're seldom justifiable. And they can change rather quickly and dramatically, as they did in Paul's case. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. They were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they'd waited a long time and seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their mind and began to say that he was a god. As the natives watched, Paul simply shook the snake off his hand. Well, maybe not simply. You know, how would you shake off a snake if it was on your hand? Anyway, he shook it off into the fire, and then he just stood there. Every eye was glued upon him because the natives expected him to swell up and or suddenly drop dead. But he didn't. They waited. They watched. For a long time, saying nothing, but nothing happened. So they changed their mind. He must not be a murderer. After all, he must be a god. Now, that's quite a jump in conclusions, quite a shift of opinion. But judging someone without all the facts usually leads to unreasonable conclusions. Was he a murderer or a god or neither? How should they view this man? Only time would tell, but for them it didn't take very long because they soon came to view him as a man who can minister. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it came about that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery, and Paul went to see him. And after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. 
Publius was most likely a Roman official. The designation leading man was found on an inscription on the island as an official title. So Paul and his party, perhaps all 276, were invited to his residence. He entertained them for three days while arrangements were no doubt being made to house them for the the three months they would be there because of the weather. Now, while staying with him, Paul discovered that his father was ill, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery, most likely Malta fever, a common disease on the island that could last two or three years and was later found to be caused by a microbe in Maltese goat's milk, which they drank. Anyway, he was very, very ill. And when Paul found this out, he prayed, either asking God to heal him or to discern God's will in the matter. And he laid his hands on him, and he was healed. Now, it didn't take long for word to travel on the island. No doubt sped along by the rumor that a god had visited the island. A rumor that I'm sure Paul was trying to squash, as he had done in Lystra, when the residents thought he was Mercury and Barnabas was Jupiter. And even though we have no record of a sermon or conversions there, I'm sure Paul did everything he could to make the natives understand that the healing was not from him, but from the God he served. Still, before long, all who had diseases were coming to Paul, And they were coming, Luke says, to be cured. And they were. Now, it's interesting the way Dr. Luke uses a different word in verse 9, cured, than he used in verse 8, healed. The word that's found in that uh, second verse is the word from which we get The word therapeutics, a medical term. They apparently received therapy, and this has led some to believe that Dr. Luke was also involved in the therapy they received, making him the first medical missionary. And as we'll see, they both received honor for what they did for the people. Now, that's not to take away anything from the miraculous nature of the healing that took place at the hands of Paul, but it may show that both were using whatever gifts they had to minister to the needs of others. Whatever the case, before long, the natives' preconceived notions of Paul were discarded. He was no longer viewed as a condemned man or a god. He was simply a man who could minister. And as such... He was a man who deserves honor. And they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. The natives honored Paul and Luke for the ministry among them. The word translated marks of respect is the word from which we get the word honorarium. They expressed their appreciation for what Paul and Luke did for them in concrete ways. They made sure they knew how much they were appreciated. And indeed, all 
who minister should be honored. Preachers, elders, teachers, sponsors, musicians. All who minister to others in the name of Jesus should be honored. Appreciated by those they serve. And when opportunities come to serve those who serve us, we should meet their needs. That's what the natives did. When it was time to leave, they made sure Paul and his party had everything they needed to continue their journey to Rome. Now, they were caring for one another. A relationship had been built, and they were now mutually meeting needs, as well as showing respect. Their snap judgments had been replaced by real love for one another. They now saw each other as people with needs and were committed to meeting those needs. Obviously the same should be true of us. And it will be if we get to know each other, honor one another, and focus on meeting needs. If we'll do that, our perceptions of one another will be more accurate and we will avoid the extremes of condemning one another or making gods of one another. We'll simply serve each other as brothers and sisters who are imperfect, but who are family. And then we can all simply concentrate on living for Jesus, lives that are true. Let's commit ourselves to that. And let's strive to view one another as God views us. Let's not be caught up in native perceptions that are proven to be wrong. Let's serve Jesus together. Let's stand.